FRBostonFreeRadio.com joined by the writer of the article, I'll read your text when you're gone, Luke O'Neill. Luke O'Neill is uh, involved in the local Somerville area. He's one of the organizers of Emo Night Boston, uh, and I'm very happy to have him as a guest today. Luke. So yeah, the article uh, it, it was something that I wrote for Boston Magazine over the summer, and it was just reprinted in, in the magazine The Week. Uh, so it's, um, you know, people have been talking about, it, talking about it again, but basically the premise is... Um, when people die now, we, you know, now that we have social media and we all have carry our phones everywhere, um, the, the way we experience their absence is different than it used to be before we had these things. Um, you know, it used to be when somebody died, you, you certainly had ways to remember them. You would have, you know, you could take out old photo albums or you might have keepsakes around the house. Um, but when you interacted with those things, it was sort of a more uh, conscious decision to do that. So you'd say, I'm going to, you know, look at the old photo albums now and you'd have to go and take them out. Um, or, you know, you, you would go to a, uh, a, a cemetery or something. And, and that was, a, that was a very active choice that I, I'm going to be mourning now. Um, but with phones and, and social media and stuff, we, we constantly carry around these digital keepsakes of, of our loved ones. That could be like old you know, text messages that you've had with somebody who's passed away or, or their, their social media accounts that you, you know, you might, uh, their, their Facebook might pop up when you're online accidentally. Um, and so it's, it feels like a different, it sort of changes the way that we mourn people because they're more readily uh, accessible to us in our, our day-to-day uh, behaviors. It's not like you, know, you're, you don't always have to seek out a reminder of them. Sometimes they might come to you. Uh, and it's just sort of uh, kind of fascinating to me because this is all just started happening in, you know, in this generation. And we don't really have, uh, you know, anything else to compare this to. So we're sort of figuring out how to do it as, as we go. The reason why I loved your article is that it, it was, it kind of had this sentimental Black Mirror touch to it. Uh, Black Mirror in the sense that there's this sort of longing and alienation with screens. For instance, uh, the, the idea that by some estimates, 8,000 to 10,000 Facebook users die every day. And as right. you stated, you know, before we had to really um, coordinate with our grief but now we have constant reminders through a commercial platform a you know a product that basically shifted the floor beneath our feet in the way that we're dealing with death now because we're dealing with a digital footprint where we have the digital likeness of someone who's died but 
you know, given the fact that this was a product, their image, which is paired with that product, is still outstanding and around. And I think that we ultimately need to learn how to grieve differently. And that's what I really appreciated about your piece, which is how raw it was, bringing your father into it, exploring it at length uh, what it is that, like, we're dealing with here. And just, j just you know, I think it's fascinating just knowing that right now, like, the new digital era of, it's kind of dubious whether or not the dead are actually gone, knowing that their likeness right. is all around. What do you think about that? Like, I, I don't know, like, how does one heal? Well, it's interesting because obviously it's going to be different if, you know, your, your parents or your, you know, your good friend or your spouse or somebody dies. So, you know, there's going to be a glaring hole in your life no matter what when that happens. And that's always been that way. I think another interesting part of that, though, is like I have so many friends, people that I talk to every day that, you know, some of them I've never even met. And like if they died... think that's kind of creepy but in some ways i get it i have cousins around the world but one you know i have a few cousins in germany a few in latin america in many ways the greatest extent of my relationship with them is via the phone so there's this like, term called the simulacrum which is you know in academic circles it just means like likeness you know just mm -hmm. you know, this sort of likeness and for the most part we our reality is a lot more like one simu simulacrum than say one's actual personhood, one's actual body, one's actual existence. So in many ways, I find it insane, but also kind of I, what I love most about this article was just how obvious it was and how it's something that we never really thought of. Like, and, 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 and how this re-engages it, it re us to the way of, um, you know, just, just the things that were already there. The fact that if I die tomorrow, and if I want, if my family wanted to close my Twitter account, that they would need to submit an official proof of death. I never thought that, like, the city clerk 
would be like in the future would right. have that relevance. But now the city court right. is going to have to issue these official proof of deaths. And I'm confident years later, this will be the norm where city clerks are going to be one of the most active participants in verifying Twitter accounts now because right. of death. Sure. And, and as death. you know, you know, social media companies, they don't tend to like trying to get an actual person to respond to is, is, you know, nearly impossible. Uh, so I, I, I'm not sure how well that they handle these type of things, but I know that those are their policies. But, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be, you know, at some point, I, I think, I forget if I wrote this in the article, but, you know, at some point there's going to be more dead people online than there, there are uh, living people, you know, and, and what, what's going to happen then? I feel like we're going to have social media zombies. Um, and I think, and I think with the advent of AI, there's, I, I see what you were saying earlier. I could definitely see where you'll have like a deceased person's page, but you can then message them. And then given the yeah. accumulation of everything that they had previously generated through text generation, inside jokes, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if you've had, uh, you know, chat windows from a deceased person that will talk like that deceased person and reliably responding in the way that that deceased person would have uh, interacted with you due to artificial intelligence, text generation, uh, just, you, you know, analytics uh, from the ad revenue also. Just the... Right, the, for sure. I feel like all these things could, could bring about a very sophisticated uh, text generator sounding like a dead person. And I think that that goes without saying, but... I think that it begins with your article, with these digital graveyards that we're dealing with. Yeah, for sure. Like, what do what does Facebook and, and other companies like that want more than anything else? Is they want you engaged and on their platform all the time. And, and what do people want more than anything else? They want to be able to talk to their, you know, their dead parents or their dead kid one more time. You know, and, you know, we can look at our old text messages and, and you know, I talked to some people from the for the story, you know, they'll still call the, the number of a friend who, you know, they still have their contact in the phone or they still have text. Some people, you know, they will, will text sometimes. They, will, they won't get a response, but that's something that you can do. And, you know, sometimes somebody else will have taken over the number and that, that's, that really screws with people's heads. Um, but yeah, it's just like we, we don't really know what's going to happen here. I would also like to touch upon Emo Night Boston, uh, if you yes. mind. Or how did Emo Boston, Emo Night Boston, come about? Well, it's funny. That, um, it was just it was just last night. I'm actually um, speaking of Emo Night, three uh, thirty p.m. and I'm still uh, hungover from last night. So that's uh, either a good sign or a bad sign for how much fun it is. That's a great sign. Um, <laughs> it's been about three and a half years, maybe almost four years. I don't know. But um, there was um, there was a thing called Emo Night New York that had been going on for something like seven years, and and I actually just went down there and, and guest DJed at it last week. Um, and uh, this guy I knew who does that, I I knew him on social media, and um, a couple of other guys uh, around here um, they had thrown a party that was like a emo theme party. They were like DJs, and I. Uh, you know, I hooked up with them and, and we decided to say like, hey, let's make this like a regular thing. I think it could work. And we started it at brick and mortar in Cambridge 
And, you know, there was like a line out the door the first time and eventually we had to move it over to the Sinclair. Yeah, it's just a lot of fun. It's basically, you know, basically the idea was like, I love this type of music, emo and punk rock and hardcore and post-hardcore and whatever. And uh, I just wanted to have some place to go and and listen to it because you don't tend to hear it at, you know, at bars or, you know, in like not not in a concert context. There's certainly no shortage of live shows but you can't really just go and hang out and listen to you know punk rock um and yeah it's just continues to be like a, a success we had like a line out the door last night and you know a few hundred people and uh we just go and people dance and sing along and uh you know i'm usually i always joke about how sick i am of doing it because you know i've done like 50 times now but last night was just a great, uh, really fun one. And, and you know, there's, all, there's lots of regulars that come, but it's always like new faces. And it's just really, it's a really good way to, you know, share this music that I love with, with people who have the, the same taste. And we have a really good time. Awesome. So how did you get the, ba- how'd you get emo bands, like notable bands to come out to play the show? Because I know me, I think Me Without You came out recently. I don't know if that was their own show. Or if it was involved with emo night, but all I know, no, we didn't. Well, we didn't have them, but we have sometimes. Like what we'll do is, we'll do it in in at the same time as as big bands like that are playing at the Sinclair. So, um, but we've had some guests. We we like our biggest guest we had that came and guest DJed was Jeff Rickley from Thursday, and that was a lot of fun. Oh yeah, um, that. that was huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. Um, but we'll do it. We'll often set it up so ours is going on in the Sinclair at the same night that there's like a big band that that everyone would like. Last, last night was Ty, Tiger Shaw was playing in the venue, and we were in the front, so it like tends to work out great like that. You know, it's uh, just sort of like a unofficial after party for a lot of concerts like that. That's awesome. So, like, yeah. uh, where do you see emo night going? You know. Uh, Eventually, eventually, uh, being sustainable and not entirely requiring um, you coordinating it. But how? Well, but, but, I don't know. It's it's weird because there's all over the country that there's there's pretty much every major city has an emo night now, and um, and there's some that are really huge, like even like Brooklyn and emo night LA. They you know get like a thousand people, and they have like you know, big stars coming and playing all the time. And, and, um, but I don't really want it to be like that. Like we, we're always free. We never charge a cover. I'm not trying to make my living as a emo night DJ. I'm not a real DJ. Um, but I've got, uh, you know, uh, I just, I just kind of like it the way it is. You know, I've got a couple of other great kids working on it with me and they're really excited and enthusiastic about, you know, getting it bigger and spreading it, but you know, they're a lot younger than me, so they can be, uh, they've got the energy for all that. But, um, you know, I'm just happy that people still come out and we get to have fun, and make it, make a couple bucks, you know? I completely agree. Um, transitioning off of emo night, Boston, and then we'll eventually get back to the article. Cause I want to talk, uh, about safe beyond and how, how, you know, how that must be like. But, um, one of my favorite articles came from the, the end of a crazy campaign for this candidate named uh, Mike Connolly. He was a state rep that mm-hmm. by, um, I think, Dick Boston, 
uh, and Chris Ferrone called him the occupier in Beacon Hill. Uh, right. So, yeah. So, so what was it like interviewing Mike Connolly for that article following his win, uh, defeating Cambridge City Councilor Tim Toomey for the state rep? Oh, well, yeah. Twenty-six middle six. He was a really nice guy, and uh, I think that the thing that was really interesting about that was that, like, he just sort of came out of nowhere. And it was kind of inspiring to see how, um, like, you know, I think people tend to think that you you have to have some sort of pedigree and, and training or, or this and that to be become an elected official. But what it really is, is is people like Mike who just decided, wait, no, I can do this. I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to run for office. And, and it's really refreshing to see that rather than, you know, these lifers who just sort of stay in there, you know, keep getting reelected over and over again. We have a lot of that in Massachusetts, you know, these, it's pretty much once you're an incumbent, it's pretty hard to, to, um, you know, to get voted out. Although we're seeing that change a little bit this year, I guess. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think you know, his story is inspiring. Obviously, you know, uh, a lot of a lot of his politics. I agree with uh, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Mike Connolly. I I was like, um, you know, full disclosure, I was uh, early on involved in his campaign, and I was I'm, I'm a big fan naturally. Uh, I love oh, cool. I love uh, being I love having seen. Um, how that race began and how it ended up, you know, him seeing him win was such a big deal. I remember crying that night. It was a, it was such an important, yeah, <laughs> such a sure. crazy night. Uh, but what I, but when it came to uh, interviewing him, how did that come about? Was that your idea? Was that a, a publisher? Um, I don't remember. You, you see, this is a funny thing about me is like, before you called me, I was like, Oh, I got to read. Yeah. The article again because it's been a few months since I wrote it, but I tend to like um, when I write an article, I learn as much about a subject as I can, uh, do all the reading, and then I write it, and then I immediately delete all my knowledge about it from my brain. If that makes sense, because that makes um, sense as a writer. Yeah, yeah, I fully understand because, that. You know, yeah, there's only so much. I mean, I'm not a particularly intelligent person, so there's only so much space in my brain. Um, so I don't remember the details of that story. Um, or, it's funny, I don't even remember who I wrote it for, Esquire, maybe? or I believe that was the case, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, but, but then again, like I said, I'm also uh, hungover today, so my brain might not be. Uh, there's no better place than in the Gualcast to talk with uh, with someone when you're having a hangover. So yes, yeah, exactly. no, 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 and, and, and I love that we were able to delve in a little bit into that, but what I'm curious about, going back to your story, you know, this very intense, emotional article called, I'll read your text when you're gone, I'll be providing the link below, so wherever you're getting this. Uh, so when it, came, when it comes to that article, you briefly mentioned this service called Safe Beyond, and mm-hmm. it's instead of... Uh, Instead of, say, inheritance, Sapion, to my recollection, it provides a, like a series of voice recordings you know, from Beyond right. the Grave in order to reassure family members. Is it, is it a way to really have continuing well, conversations following a passing? Well, when I spoke to the guy who started it, um, it uh, his wife had died, as I recall, and they had a couple of young children. 
And, you know, obviously they were, she, she had a, a terminal illness, so she knew she was going to, uh, they were preparing, you know, it's like preparing her estate, like you would be writing a will. But, but what they did was she recorded messages for their kids that they uh, could then, you know, listen to on, on certain momentous occasions throughout their life, like when they graduated high school or on their wedding day or things like that. And um, I'm not sure uh, how many people have, have signed on to use that, but, but the, you know, the idea behind it makes sense. Uh, it's instead of, like, you know, this is something that existed pre-digital, you know, you, in your will, you would leave a letter with, with your, you know, the executor of your will, the lawyer or whatever, and, and, and you know, they, they would have things, you know, like when someone becomes 25, they get their access to their trust fund or whatever. There might be a letter from the, the deceased parent or something saying, you know, uh, that they'd written many years ago, but this is just sort of a, a digital version of that. Um, where, you know, you can say congratulations and, you know, I, I love you and things like that. And this is kind of getting, it's kind of depressing me to think about actually, but um, I suppose it might comfort people in some way, you know? Well, I was just going to ask, um, would it comfort you? Because I can definitely say for myself, it wouldn't comfort me. I feel that it would be a service that would kind of reopen certain um certain pains i mean but then again it's not again it's not too dissimilar to looking at old vhs tapes that were recorded right yeah and and i think that's what i'm curious about is the anthropologically sociologically uh just how what is the new morning because we've become accustomed to mourning in a way that was wholly separate and that there's this external uh, reminiscence. But you're right. I think now more than ever, our cell phones, our, our, our digital footprint is an extension of ourselves. I feel as though these profiles will really commemorate us in passing. But if there's not an active user to it, it becomes a graveyard. And then at some point, what do you do when you have like a non-consensual uh, digital grave that pops up? Let's say... Yeah. Facebook, yeah, exactly. Let's say Facebook likes to remind you, it's like, hey, three years ago you did this and, and your friend that passed away was in that photo. And then all of yeah, a sudden you, a yeah, and all of a sudden you have to deal with this new pain. I remember uh, a, a friend of mine, she, you know, not to delve in too much because, you know, it was painful to myself and her family and all of our friends, but she had uh, passed away overseas and it was fascinating. I remember I perked up and became, I don't know, scared, excited worried you know I, I felt a shift in my mood and in my stomach when i saw knowing that she was uh deceased knowing seeing her facebook profile become active knowing, yeah. knowing that on the other end there was her family uh, doing their best to really figure out what was going on or recuperating the last little figments and bits of her digital uh, archives and I didn't think I would feel a way about this but reading your article it brought me back to that place because I think that if we don't know how we're going to mourn now in the next few years or so I feel like it's going to become socialized and conditioned in a way that it would be recognizable maybe the future of digital mourning is having a way to just you know sync up everyone's phone at a funeral home 
and exactly and figure out ways to incorporate this um extended digital arm this extended digital footprint into our grieving into our mourning and it's just going to be fascinating to see how that will appear years down the line oh sure well i mean it it um it's going to be interesting to see what happens but uh you know i don't think unless they uh unless they figure out you know a way to to prevent death we're, we're all gonna end up being sad no matter what happens so can't avoid that and ultimately you know even though we are a cyberspace podcast and this article is just 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 the stuff of the podcast uh, what is the human cost i know that you know you wrote elegantly about how the pains that went into grieving this i know that if i had to rummage through my father's texts part of me feels though i would I'd cringe part of me yeah. would feel as though i would learn something that would further humiliate me or it would resurface some past pain. Right. Was there any sort of, you know, not to delve in too deep, I don't want you to, you know, you know, because I'm yeah. not, exactly, but, 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 but ultimately, was there, was, did you stumble upon something similar where there was this sense of impropriety or if there was a sense of, of, of decency that came into mind while you were doing this? I don't know. I don't, I don't think I really learned any lessons that would you know that would uh, make for for interesting uh, uh you know sort of takeaways uh, i think it was just um it, i think it's just like a stark reminder that someone was someone existed and then they don't anymore you know and uh I mean, sometimes I-, I can be sentimental about it sometimes i can be more cynical about it but i guess today i, I, I would be uh, thinking you know it's just someone was here and now they're not. And in many ways, I think that is a takeaway because I think yeah. that it glaringly defies what we're seeing before us, which is their mm-hmm. likeness, their likeness in action, engaging socially right. from the grave. <laughs> and that's ultimately what's uh, creeping us all out and, and the article and ultimately our unease with cyberspace at large. Uh, Luke, I, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and with uh, and, and opening up about the article. You know, given how how like uh, how fraught it is with personal detail, but also allowing us to really delve deep into all of our uh, potential demise, all of our um, you know custodialship with our social media profiles, and ultimately just how a graveyard will look in cyberspace. I, I want to thank you for coming on and talking with me. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, if, if, if is, is there any way where my listeners can get in touch with you, uh, Twitter, uh, anything you can plug so my listeners can uh, learn more about yeah, you and your work? Yeah, sure. You can just find me on Twitter, Luke O'Neill forty seven. I'm uh, sort of um, constantly uh, posting uh, shit all day. So <laughs> if you wanna. If you want to read more of my stuff there? You can find me there, and uh, I, I have a new I have a newsletter that I uh, started a couple months ago called Welcome to Hell World, and uh, you can find a link to that on my on my Twitter as well. And uh, there's lots more writing like this this piece, uh, a lot of personal and political writing. So uh, check it out. And yeah, thanks for having me. It's been nice to talk. This episode was recorded at Boston Free Radio at the Somerville Media Center at Union Square. 
If you'd like to hear the hip-hop music that we're playing on our program, tune in on Boss Free Radio, Saturdays from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. You can listen to the music live on Boss Free Radio. If you are unable to do so, don't fret. We have our Spotify playlist shown early on our Patreon. Patreon.com slash GSHamlin for your Guaucast needs. Come on in and check out our Patreon. 